All right, Psalm 119. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to study it. Father, I pray that, um, that we'll just have a better understanding of your word and how to love it. In Jesus' name, amen. So get your hand out. We made it through the first five of these several weeks ago. So the first word, what these words are, there are 10 words that are used consistently in this chapter. So Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And all but two of those verses make a reference to God's word. Every verse, except for two of 176 verses, that makes a reference to God's word. And the heart behind this study is loving God's word. So if you look at the wall, it says, I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. So here's the question. Do you love God's word? Do you love God's word? Now, we use that word love in so many different ways. I love my wife and I love the Browns. I hope those are different loves. We use that word in many different ways. I love a Big Mac. I love the fall. I love God. Those ought to be different levels of magnitude. Would, would you all agree with me on that? So my question is, do you truly love God's word? And tonight, we're going to be starting our series on how to study the Bible. It was my desire to actually preach a message on that this morning but I, I really wanted to finish this so that we can continue in Psalm 119. I hope that you'll come back. I hope that you will make the investment in learning how to study your Bible. And you might say, Pastor, I went through that 10 or 15 years ago when we did it before. Number one, I doubt you remember all of it. <laughs> Number two, it's going to be different. So tonight is information that I've never brought to you before. And uh, we're going to have a, a handout, a, a pretty substantial handout every week and so I hope that you'll make the investment to be here at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights all through this series. I know that for many of you, Sunday is your only day off, and you have some things that you plan in the afternoon. I'm asking you for this period of time to set aside your Sunday evenings to learn how to study the Bible. And honestly, if we love something, it's worth that kind of time investment. How many of you know... That the things that you love, the things that you genuinely love, they can take priority in your schedule. And so this idea, I think we're going to have three people tonight because I got three amens. So the, th this idea of loving God's word, it really is manifested by how this works out in our lives. How much time do we spend reading it? How much time do we spend memorizing it? Do we really love God's word? That's what Psalm 119 is about. It's about David's love for God's word. In this book, it's divided into 22 sections, all based on the Hebrew alphabet. And so each of the verses in Hebrew would begin with that letter of the alphabet. And there are 10 words that are used over and over and over again. And you cannot understand what God is saying unless you understand how he is using these words. So I'm just going to, we're just going to read the first five so you can fill in your blank. The first one is the way, the way. And this is the way a man should go on his feet. It describes a journey, the way you're going. 
All right, so the way. This is the way a man should go on his feet. It describes a journey. Number two, testimonies. Testimonies. This is used 23 times. And it's, a, it's reiteration, attestation, witness. This is personal experience and testimony to the truthfulness of God's word. So when the Bible talks about its testimonies, it can either be, in this chapter, David's testimony about how God had worked with him or scriptural testimony of how God has worked with others. So it's a, it's a personal experience. Then precepts. Precepts. That's used 21 times, and it's only used in the Psalms. So these are commands to be passed on to others as a mandate. And this word is always plural. How many of you know that there are things that God wants you to tell others? Right? And it's more than one thing. It's more than that God wants them to be saved. How many of you are thankful God wants us to be saved? We need to take that message to the world, but that's not our only message. I believe, now I'm not supposed to be preaching each one of these, but I'm going to get on this one just a little bit. One of the problems in our type of churches is the emphasis was only, outside of here, was only evangelism. But what's happened is we have moved into a post-Christian culture. You have to be able to teach people who God is, what the Bible is, why it's true, why they need it, before they can even comprehend the gospel. How many of you know that that's true? Even in a supposedly religious community like ours, people are biblically illiterate. And so that's these precepts are more than the gospel. And this is why discipleship is such a vital part of our ministry. Through discipleship, you will learn how to communicate God's word to someone else. Remember, you don't really know something until you can tell it to someone else. You may have heard truth, but if you can't communicate truth, you do not know it. So on the in the chair in front of you is a card for the discipleship ministry. If you would like us to take God's word and teach you how that you can prepare to teach someone else, fill out that card. We have trained disciples ready to take God's word and teach you how to teach someone else. And all of you disciples, you who have been through discipleship, you've been through the training with me, be sure and be in the fellowship hall at four o'clock tonight because we're going to be talking about some ways that we can help our disciples. But precepts, these are words or commands to be passed on to others as a mandate. The number four, commandment, commandment. This is used 22 times. This is a definite command imposed by the authority of the commander. This is a definite command imposed by the authority of the commander. How many of you were in the military? Been in the military. All right. So when your commander told you to do something, was that optional? Rarely. That's awesome. If it was a lawful command, <laughs> was it optional? No. And if you disobeyed the command, well, then you can be in big trouble. And if it's wartime, in the past, they might kill you. That's how important it was to follow those commands. God's commands are way more important to us than any commander on earth could be. These are things that, that we are to believe. So remember, we talk about the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions right? They are commandments. How many of you know that stealing is still wrong? Lying is still wrong. Coveting is still wrong. Taking the name of the Lord your God in vain is still wrong. Bowing down before idols, making images and idols and bowing down before them. It's still wrong. 
These are commandments. One of the commandments that God gives us is study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that is why we are learning how to study the Bible. It is one of those things that is a command, and we're going to be looking at some more of those things in a minute. Then number five, word, singular, word. It's used 19 times. This is to set forth in speech. In this case, it deals with something brought forth to light by means of speech. And we have Second Peter one twenty one that reference there. The Bible says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God. What's it say? Spake. It doesn't say wrote. Spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And what God did was he had those men speak it, and then he had the apostles, the Holy Spirit of God, brought all of those things to their remembrance. So when they wrote them down, they wrote them down exactly as God wanted them to write them. So you'll have a statement of Christ in Matthew, and you'll have a statement of Christ in Luke, and the words are a little different. Why? Because God wanted those things written differently to emphasize a different point of doctrine or teaching. Every word of God is true. Every word. Every word. And these are spoken words that are to be heard. Uh, let me just show you something. I'm not, I'm not preaching these first several, just so you know. I'm not. Go with me to uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm teaching through Titus in our Sunday school hour. And I made it through like the first three words this morning. So we're flying Look at what it says in verse 3, Titus chapter 1 and verse 3. But God hath in due times manifested, that's making plain, demonstrating, manifested his word through what? Everyone, what's it say? Everyone? Preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. You know, we live in a time where, you know, someone might say, well, I commune with God in my tree stand. How many of you heard somebody say that? Well, I hope you do. I hope you do. That's great. I love that. But that can never take the place of preaching. It can. This is a very important thing. You may think, well, pastor, that's great for you to say since you're a preacher. Well, yeah. I, I, I like being able to do this, and it's wonderful having someone to speak to. But preaching is a vital part of our understanding of God's word. It is the spoken word. It is the making plain of the scriptures through preaching. Let's be honest. How many of you, whether it's from this pulpit or somewhere else, that, that God has really changed your life through the spoken communication about or of God's word? This is so important. And this is why we need to invite people to church. People need to hear the communication of the Word of God. And God calls and gifts pastors and teachers to open up God's Word. Whether it's, it's here, me, from the pulpit. Or whether it's a discipler communicating God's Word in a one-on-one setting. Or a, 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 a Sunday school teacher. And how about next week we're starting our young married couples class. That's pretty cool. The young married couples class. And it's going to be called what? Steadfast? Is that what you guys are going to call it? steadfast, steadfast. We were, I wanted to call it hitched. And then when they started having kids call it hatched. 
Wouldn't that be cool? But the, the, we're going to have a class so that people in that age group can, can worship and study and learn with people on their, of their same age. We're, we're changing Tom's from Cornerstone to Silver Eagles. You know what's funny? My class used to be the young couples class. What happened to all you people? You got old. The spoken communication of God's word is vital for God's people. So when you see that word, word, in Psalm 119, it's talking about the word that was spoken. All right, look at the next one. So this is new. This is new. Number six, law, law. So we're at Psalm 119. Let's read this. This is Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's always singular. That's interesting. There are not many laws of God. There's one law of God. Does that make sense? So Genesis through Deuteronomy, always singular. This is a law, instruction, teaching, revelation of the will of God for the life of man. I like that last statement. Revelation of the will of God for the life of man. Now look at verse 18. Now we have already preached through this particular text, but I've spent a bunch of time in the last week looking at verse 18 again. And it says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Do you see that? Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. See, what the psalmist understands is that his eyes are blind, that he can't see. So keep your place here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Look at chapter 4. I read, sorry, go to 2 Corinthians now. <laughs> And look at verse 2. Ye are our epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2. Ye are our epistle, that's letter, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, 
but our sufficiency is of God. Look at what it says. Who hath who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth light. But if the ministration of death, this is the law, written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious." Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Now look at verse 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now remember what happened when Moses went up and got the law. He came down, and his face was glowing so much, he had to put a veil over it so that people could look at him. All right? So now God's going to use that as an analogy here in the text. Verse 13 again, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So now I want you to think about something. Go back to Psalm 119 and look at verse 18 again. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things of thy law or out of thy law. Now remember the law is the first five books of the Bible. And there are wondrous things. How about the creation of the world? How about the way that God did that in six days? And like we always say, uh, John Phillips pointed out and he said, and he made the stars also as if it's just these billions and billions and billions of stars, that was just, yeah, let there be stars. How many of you think that's a wondrous thing? How about when the Bible describes this intermarriage between spirit beings and men and their offspring being giants and God destroying the world because of it? That's a wondrous thing. When we find out that there's this creature named Leviathan that swims in the deep and he's called that piercing serpent that God will ultimately destroy with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. This piercing serpent, Leviathan, the Bible describes him as you you can't, that that, that fire comes out by his kneesings. That's a wondrous thing. Behold, Behemoth, his tail is like a beam. You start to see these wondrous things that are in the Bible. The Bible talks about the paths in the seas, and the scientists realized there were paths in the seas, and they discovered the ocean currents because of what's listed in the Bible. If you cut, I heard James Knox say this, if you cut the earth in two, you're able to cut it in half, from the crust to the center, the Bible would remain true in everything it says about it. 
See, the Bible talks about the center of the earth being blazing with fire and pitch blackness and heat like nowhere else in the world. And yet the scientists, now they know that there is a, a molten center to the, or to the, how many of you are thinking of maybe like a hot fudge cake right now? You think of that molten center. That sounds pretty good. When the Bible describes that, that's a wondrous thing. And these are wondrous things that we can find if we'll take off our worldly glasses and put on biblical glasses and believe that it's a supernatural book inspired by a supernatural God and preserved in a supernatural way so that it can have a supernatural effect on me. And what the psalmist says, notice what he says, verse 18, open thou mine eyes. Don't open the eyes of the United States. Don't open the eyes of the world. Don't open the eyes of the, as the, of the Islamists. Open my eyes so that I can see. And there's another thing that's really interesting about that verse. He doesn't say, give me new eyes. You see, God has already equipped us to be able to understand his Bible. We just have to read it. How many of you are thankful that you can see? Man, when you can't, if you've ever had an issue where you can't see, your eyes become blurry. Man, all of this talk to Jeff Bradshaw. It, it is a, Jeff, is it a bummer not being able to see right? Man, if you can read, read the Bible and ask God to open your eyes because honestly, we are blind. The Bible talks about how Satan has blinded the eyes. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Open thou mine eyes. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? In whom the God of this world hath what? Blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's so important that we understand that the world is blind. The world is groping in blindness. Go back to Psalm 119. I'll show you something interesting. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not. What's that next word? Wander from thy commandments. Does anyone wander like a blind man? Isn't that interesting? You ever get up in the middle of the night, house is pitch black, and you think you know where you are. And then you find the end table. You find the Lego that someone has left on the floor. I'm just telling you, the military needs to use Legos. Those things hurt. How many of you ever stepped on a Lego? Those things hurt. Blind man, you think you know where you're going, but you don't. Listen, we think we know our house like the back of our hand. You ever heard that? I don't have any idea what the back of my hand looks like. We say these things, but we don't know. We need, to, we need God to open our eyes. And notice what it says, verse 18 again. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of what? What's it say? It doesn't say out of thy gospel. 
It doesn't say out of the New Testament. Man, if we can find wondrous things in the law, what can we find in the gospel? How about that Jesus Christ, God himself, took on flesh and bones, was born of a virgin, and entered the world covered in whatever it is that a baby is covered in when they're born. Just think about it. That's the way that God entered the world. That was God. Now, how many of you knew that already? You see, when we realize, when we know that God became a man, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross for our sins, not for his own because he was sinless. And then he wrote, was buried after three days and three nights. He rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. How many of you know that? But it doesn't really excite us much anymore. But it would if you heard it for the first time. Do you know how many people there are that would love to know that they're free from the law? They would love to know that they can have forgiveness and freedom, that they can have heaven as their home, forgiveness of sin, joy and peace in this life. They would love to know that, but they have never heard it. What are the wondrous things out of the law? That, that God has given us liberty from the law. We just saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That he's given us the light of this gospel. The, the light of Jesus Christ in earthen vessels. We looked at that last week or a week before last from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These are wondrous things. You see, right now, I wonder if we could ask God... To, to, to get those scales, remember that's what, that's what happened with the Apostle Paul. The scales fell from his eyes. And all of a sudden, he started to understand who Jesus Christ is. And it changed everything. And we're so distracted by so many things. And I want to... I don't want to be distracted by these things. I want to know God. I want to know God's word. I want to be passionate. I want God to show me these wondrous things from his word. I don't want to fall asleep when I'm listening to preaching. I want to care about it. And I need God to open my eyes because I'm 57 years old now. I have never not known the gospel. I've been around it my entire life. I've heard these things. But when I hear about Jesus, I want there to be a thrill in my, in my soul. I want there to be a desire to love him and know him more. One of the things that we'll look at tonight in our How to Study the Bible. The Bible is the only book that gets bigger as you read it. How many of you have read the Bible and then you go back and you're reading it and you see a verse? Never saw that before. James Knox, I heard him say that. I'm using some of his material this evening. And he said he was a new Christian and that happened. He went to check to see if he had the wrong version of the Bible. Because surely he would remember it if he had read it before. See, the Bible is one of those things that if you will invest in it, if you will commit to it, 
Every time you read it, you'll get something new. You'll get something different. You'll see it in a way that you've never seen it before. And do you know what happens to us? Life gets in the way. We stop reading. We stop studying. We stop learning. We stop loving. Imagine if I told Laura I love her. How's the video doing back there? Doing okay? Imagine I look better off camera anyway. If I tell her I love her, but I never talk to her. Would she feel like she was loved? We open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We looked at it in the Sunday school hour this morning that when the early church Acts 17.11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. What were they searching? The law, the Psalms, and the prophets. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have it. You know, most of us don't really understand what is in the Old Testament. And that, that famous quote, and it's so true, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It is such a fun thing to dive in and start cross-referencing and learning and growing. George Mueller, the famous uh, orphanage runner and preacher, he started reading the Word of God. He, he, had, he had studied it, but he hadn't really read it consecutively. And I think he said he read it more than 200 times in his life. He said that I became a living concordance. A living concordance. Because he became so familiar with the Scriptures that the cross-references just started flowing from him. And the theological systems that he had been trained under fell away. And he began to understand about a premillennial return of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus is going to have a kingdom on this earth. He didn't get that from the theologians. He got it from the Bible. And it became an exciting thing for him. And the Bible became a living book to him because he would read it prayerfully. And he would read it repeatedly. And he would read it consistently. And he, he just grew to love it. And the more you study it, the more you learn it. It's amazing how God opens it up to you. And you start to behold wondrous things out of his law. We need to pray that God will stir our hearts to love his word. Look at the next one. Number seven, judgments. Judgments. This is used 19 times. Four times it's singular, judgment. These are God's decisions on matters. It is the sentence of the judge on a matter. It's a judicial decision or sentence. Now, the Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's a rhetorical question, of course. When God makes a judgment, that judgment is right. Look at verse, look at verse 20. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. What we, we pray this way. And t- tell me if you've ever prayed this. God, I need to know your mind on this particular subject. 
Those are God's judgments. Did you know there's nothing you can ever go through that God hasn't already made a decision on? See, one of the wonderful things about the Christian life is there are a lot of decisions that I never have to make. Those decisions have already been made for me. Right? Am I going to commit adultery? No. God's made that decision for me. How many of you are thankful that you've got a pastor that is committed to not committing adultery? That may be a unique thing in ministry these days. Crazy world. You see, there are decisions that I don't have to make. I don't have to, when we go to, like, in studying the book of Titus, here's how much time I spend trying to determine whether or not Titus is true. Here's how much time I spend trying to figure that out. Why? That decision has already been made. I, I, I don't spend any time on that. I don't spend any time studying Psalm 119. I don't spend any time at all trying to decide whether or not a verse is genuine, whether or not it's supposed to be there. That decision has been made. Why? Because the Bible says every word of God is pure. Every word of God is true. Thy word is true from the beginning, and all thy righteous precepts are right. Those are decisions I don't have to make. Those are God's judgments. I don't have to decide when I was raising my children, I didn't have to decide whether or not they would obey. Honey, are we going to make him obey? Are we going to, what are we going to do? You know, there are people that can't go out to eat because their kids can't sit still. Did you know I can fix that? They might not sit well, but they'll sit still. How many of you know how to fix that? That decision's already been made. The kids are going to... Now, what they do when they're adults, I think Jacob's preparing to be an axe murderer. That's his study in school. What they do as adults, that's between them and God. But when they're in my house, they're going to obey. And here's the deal. Laura and I agreed on that. Why? Because that decision was already made for us in the Word of God. Children, obey your parents. That your days may be long upon the earth. How many of you would like to see your children live? Then teach them to obey. See, this is all so vital. These are God's judgments. What God has decided on a matter. Remove not the ancient landmark, lest you enter into the fields of the fatherless. God believes in property boundaries. God believes in national boundaries. God believes in those things. So I can't be a socialist. I can't be a communist. I can't do that. That's not, oh, I got to decide. You know, Acts 2, they had all things common. Oh, are they communists? Yes, they rejected God. They hated God. They hated organized religion. And they wanted to, at the, at, 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 at the, at, at the point of a weapon, steal things from one people to give to an, from, from so one people, one person, to give to another. Yes, that's exactly what the early church was doing. You gotta take your brain out and play with it to think like that. These are decisions that are already made. They're made. We don't believe in anarchy. God's judged that. Obey the ordinances of man. These judgments are already... I don't have to decide. These decisions are made. See, the Christian life's hard enough on the things that I do decide. Well, what time am I going to get up today? How much am I going to eat today? 
the decisions that are left to us are pretty simple. We just make them really hard. That's why he longs for God's judgments. God, help me to understand what you have already decided. Because my decision maker, my judger is broken. I need to see things through your word. Judgments. Look at verse 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. Thy judgments have I laid before me. You know, we've talked about being at Disneyland and you could let the kids drive the car, the gas and the steering wheel and the brake. They, they were really driving because it had a rail underneath it. So you were safe. Right? We as believers need to have that rail of God's judgments. And then God gives us that same kind of leeway that the kids have driving the car to where you make your own decisions. But if his judgments are there, I, I might make a bad decision, you know, you know, buy a car that I can't afford, right? Then get upside down on it and I'm stuck with it. Anybody else ever do that? Or am I the only idiot in the room, right? God allows me to do that. But God doesn't allow me to go steal a different car. See, I, I, I can make my decisions. I lay those judgments before me. If I understand that word, I'll understand. These are God's decisions. This is the judge's decision, final decision, no court of appeals on any subject. Number eight, righteousness. Righteousness. Are y'all having fun? Man, I love studying God's word. And then telling you about it. Righteousness. In the sense of proper balance in matters, as well as God's own personal righteousness. So in the sense of proper balance in matters, as well as God's own personal righteousness. Let's look at a couple examples. Look at verse 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Now remember, this is so important. So quicken me, make me alive in your righteousness, thy righteousness. Remember, in, in the armor of God, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. We have to put on righteousness because we don't have any of our own. Right? Cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are. We, we don't have any righteousness of our own. It has to come from God. But remember, this is the righteousness of God's word in Psalm 119. See, the Bible will purify you, right? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you purify your mind? By the washing of the water of the word. See, the Bible is righteous. And as you meditate on those precepts, as you learn those judgments, as you look for those wondrous things out of his law, that righteousness, what will happen is you'll, you'll be confronted. Young people, when you understand what God has said about something and you are understanding God's righteousness, when you are confronted with something that is unrighteous, you know immediately. You know. Because God has said, don't do that. Are you all with me on this? It's so funny. I'm watching these young people. They're trying to pay attention. And they're just like I was. 
but they're trying so hard. You guys are doing great. The Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation. How are we doing? I don't know if there's ever been a time when God's people need to take that that glory of God, the light of the glory of God that He has placed in us that we have in these earthen vessels and shine that out into the darkness of the world. And if we will simply live out our faith, we're going to shine like beacons in the darkness of this world. And God will give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share those precepts that we are to teach. Folks, we we have to, that righteousness. Okay, let's go on. For the teenager's sake, I'm going to be done very quickly. Number nine, statutes. Statutes. Number nine, statutes. It's used 22 times. These are fixed decrees or ordinances from a root, which means to hew, to cut in, engrave, inscribe. And so comes to mean what is ordained, decreed, prescribed, enacted. This is, this is, this is not going to change. It's, in, it's set in stone. That's the idea. All right, so look at verse 48. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, I will meditate in thy statutes. I will meditate in thy statutes. How many of you, listen, how many of you love and meditate on speed limits? I do, but it's usually in anger. When we think of statutes, when we think of fixed laws, many times, man, we don't like them, especially we Americans and especially we Americans that tend toward libertarianism, you know, the, the big government people say there ought to be a law, and uh, the libertarian says there ought to be less laws. People can bear in their bodies the results of their good decisions or their bad decisions. God has built consequences into the universe, and you can't legislate intelligence. The more laws we get, the dumber people get. Have you ever noticed that? And yet the Bible says, I'll meditate in thy statutes. Why? Because everything God ordains is good. If I have God's statutes, if I know his fixed laws, then those are decisions that I don't have to make. Those are non-negotiables in my life. Those are things that I am going to live by. If I meditate on those things, then my life is better. God's fixed statutes. Look at verse 112. I have inclined, verse 112, did I say 12? It's 112, verse 112. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Notice what it says, perform thy statutes. I'm going to obey them. I'm going to submit to them until the end. How many of you, that's your prayer? God, I want to stay right until the end. Uh, I, I want to leave. I want to get that well done Thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into thy rest. Man, that's what I want. And then lastly, number 10, words, plural. So number five was the word, singular. That's that spoken word. Number 10 is words. 
This is used four times. This is in distinction from word. We must believe the individual words of the Bible. You know, there are a lot of people that believe the Bible. They say, I believe God's word. They just don't believe what it says. Right? I've told you one of my favorite examples. I was preaching through the gospel of Mark 20 years ago. I have a commentary. I'm reading this text. I look at the commentary to see what it says about the text. Direct quote. This passage may be genuine. But doesn't that just instill confidence in God's word? You see, look at, look at what the Bible says. Look at verse 57. Very interesting. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy, what's it say? Is it word or words? You got to have them to keep them. Do you have them? Do you have them? You remember I asked the head of the Bible department of Bob Jones University, do you believe you can hold God's word in your hands? He said, no. Where are they? Somewhere in the manuscripts, somewhere on my bookshelf, somewhere in what the scholars have done. That guy's not keeping his words. This guy was a godly man, wonderful man, just absolutely wrong and shattering the faith of young men under him. I just believe we have God's words. We hold them in our hands. We can read them. We can obey them. We can trust them. Look at verse 103. Unless this is not true. Look at verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The individual words, not the ideas, not the thoughts, not the precepts, not the doctrines, but the words themselves. You see, the ideas, the precepts, the doctrines, the theology, that grows out of the words. We don't, dis- we don't discover the words through our theology. It's the other way around. It's got to start there. Look at verse 130. Remember, this is about loving God's word. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Well, we got a lot of people that are simple. They don't have understanding because they don't have God's words. Look at verse 139. I love this. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Verse 142, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Do you see how it all works together? When you understand what those individual words mean, then God unlocks his teaching. Folks, we have to love those words. We have to learn how to study those words. We need to understand what Jesus said in John 6, 63. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The Bible says in, in the book of Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then Colossians 3.16 is God's commentary on what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit is being filled with the word of God. 
And you cannot be filled with the word of God unless you believe the individual words of God. Which ones can you remove? Which ones are not true? Which ones can you not trust? Is it the ones that say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? What if shall is changed to might? One word. One word. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. What if your Bible says his only son? That's a big word. He's the only one that is that. You see, we have to believe every word of God. You know, there are a lot of people that believe they're going to go to heaven because they were baptized. And the Bible says in Acts 8, 37, verse 36, the eunuch says to Philip, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down into the water, both of them, and he baptized him. Verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. It's taken out of almost every modern Bible. It's not there. Why should you be baptized? Because you've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 or 16, the Apostle Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is not a part of the gospel. But if you remove that clear teaching of Scripture, it's gone. The cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the, the, the oneness Pentecostals, the Mormons, they don't believe that Jesus is God. In 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Those words are not kept in the modern Bibles. They're gone. They're not there. If we're going to love God's Word, we must keep His words. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my words. Ephesians, or the, the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. What had they left? The words of God. Remember what Paul told Timothy? 1 Timothy 1.13, follow after the pattern of sound words which you have received of me. Chapter 2, and the things which thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's those words. Give those words. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. They didn't keep those words. And it laid a foundation for doctrinal error that we're still dealing with today because they added words, phrases, and concepts to the Bible, and they didn't hold to the words they had. Folks, you can believe the word of God all you want, but if you don't believe the words, you don't have the word. These ten words, we need to know them. We need to believe them. We need to study them. We need to ask that God will stir us. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. Lord, thank you. You've taught us to believe your words, that you inspired them. You transmitted them. You preserved them. You had them translated so that we can hold them and read them and trust them and teach them and live by them.